Good morning, everyone. Happy Sunday. This is Amy and welcome back to the LBC podcast. I hope you're all doing well today. Just by way of information, if you are a church member here at LBC, then check your emails and your post boxes next week for the first of our monthly newsletters. We'll be sending regular updates on things like our finances, the building project and other areas of church life to keep you in the loop while we are still unable to gather together. This week, we continue our series on the parables of Jesus. In the first couple of weeks, we looked at the parable of the sower, which came near the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Then we looked at the parable of the vineyard and the tenants, which came towards the end of his ministry. We've given you these kind of bookends to his teaching, and now we're gonna go back and fill in the parables that came in between. So let's jump into week four of our parable series as we look at the one with the weeds. Our reading for today comes from the book of Matthew, and it's Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 43. That's Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 to 43. Morning, everyone, and welcome to our Sunday live stream. Uh, welcome back to our series on the parables. And this week, it's the one with the weeds. What do we think when we hear the phrase kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven? Theologians over the centuries and right up to the present day have tried to explain the ins and outs of the kingdom. Reformed, Armenian, Pentecostal, Catholic, and a host of others all have tried to shed light on the same thing and yet produce widely differing answers. It can all get very academic. and There's nothing wrong with that. How do we attempt to communicate these concepts simply? I remember Carl's mum visiting um, some years ago and picking up one of my N.T. Wright theological tomes and remarking that she didn't understand the word of it. <laughs> Here's a sample. In much popular modern Christian thought, we have made a three-layered mistake. We have platonized our eschatology, substituting souls going to heaven for the promised new creation, and have therefore moralised our anthropology, substituting a qualifying examination of moral performance for the biblical notion of human vocation, with the result that we have paganised our soteriology, our understanding of salvation, substituting the idea of God killing Jesus to satisfy his wrath for the genuinely biblical notions of atonement, victory, and reconciliation. Did you get that? Uh, no. <laughs> Thankfully, Jesus used everyday stories and the parable to convey the reality using metaphors and comparisons rather than theological concepts in an attempt to present the kingdom simply and achievably. These things, of course, are open to theological interpretation and we come at them with our own preconceived ideas. And at the end of the day, they are for those with ears to hear. So today, we're going to look at three such stories. If you've got your Bible, it's in Matthew chapter 13, uh, reading from verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. 
But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is a son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. And God will add a blessing to the public reading of his word. What is the kingdom of God like? In this first parable, Jesus said it's like a field which he tells us in verse 38, is the world. Back in Genesis, we read of the creation being good and God declaring it very good with the creation of mankind. We also read there of an intrusion into that perfection of the work of an enemy seeking to seek, steal, kill and destroy all that God has made. We often think of the world as a bad place, which one day we will escape from and go to heaven. This parable teaches that the kingdom of God exists alongside another more sinister kingdom and the two grow together. We also have the idea that it's easy to see the weeds. However, the word used here describes a plant native to Palestine called darno, which is very like wheat in its stalk and grain, but is worthless and harmful. They can be easily mistaken. As we saw when we looked at Ephesians 6, the systems in which the principalities and powers operate, of, we, of which we are an integral part, are both ordained by God and in the power of Satan. We spoke about the need to stand, to be salt and light in the midst of the evil around us, and that's not easy. In the mishmash of conflicting ideas and the genuine effort to do our best for God, we will inevitably struggle and come up against difficulties and problems some of which are too overwhelming for us. If we try to help God out by attempting to pull up the weeds ourselves, there is a danger we will pull up some of the wheat, 
too. The good news is, of course, that God has a plan to put the whole creation to rights. We read in Colossians, for God was pleased to have all his fullness well in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. He will work it out in his own infinite wisdom, compassion and holiness and can be trusted to do what is right. What are we to do in the meantime? In persevering in our Christian walk, we also need patience. All three of these parables speak of a process which takes time. They speak of waiting, which is what we all find difficult. The farmer must wait for the harvest. The birds must wait for the mustard seed to become a tree. The woman must wait for the mysterious transformation of the dough by the yeast. When Carl and I first took on the funding applications for the building project, I naively thought we would all be done and dusted within a year or so. Two years later, albeit we've been blessed out of our socks, we are only about to start phase one. God is teaching me patience. Hmm. We need patience and perseverance, which undergird our trust in God, that he knows what he's doing. The danger, of course, is that we try to speed things up and give God a helping hand, usually by pursuing our own agenda rather than his. In Jesus' day, there were many people seeking the establishment of the kingdom of God. The Pharisees sought it through fighting the pagans on one hand and compromised Jews on the other. The Sadducees controlled the temple and were very keen to maintain that control. The Zealots sought to overthrow the Roman Empire with violence. Even Jesus' own disciples and the common people sought to make him king. We did in John. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again into the hills by himself. All these groups thought they were doing God's will and could help him out. We so easily become frustrated that things are not moving fast enough. Why doesn't God do something? Of course, we know that God this side of Easter has already acted decisively and dramatically in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Here's N.T. right again. When today we long for God to act, to put the world to rights, we must remind ourselves that he has already done so and that what we are now awaiting is the full outworking of these events. We wait with patience, not like people in a dark room wondering if anyone will ever come with a lighted candle, but like people in the early morning who know that the sun has arisen and are now awaiting the full brightness of midday. Let's put into practice some of the lessons that we learned on the prayer course, particularly listening and contemplation to help us with our patience and the discernment of what God is actually doing in our world. One of the other things that the, this first parable of the weeds teaches us is to let God be the judge. In our vain attempts to realise our own agendas and in seeking to give God a helping hand, we so easily end up doing what Jesus warned us not to do. And we read in Matthew again, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, 
you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In the explanation of the parable of the weeds, we have a picture of the final judgment, complete with fire and brimstone. Everything that causes sin and all who do evil are for the fire. The Greek word for everything that causes sin is scandalon, from which we get the word scandal. And you should look that up because you know that sometimes I say these things and it's not true, but this time it is. Scandalon. The word originally referred to the piece of wood used to keep a trap open for animals and later came to be associated with something that could cause people to stumble and fall. It refers to all the sludge and stuff in the world which leads to sin. Last week we studied the parable of the sower. In that there was reference to the devil snatching away the word, shallow soil indicative of weak roots and falling away and thorns growing up to choke the plants. These are all scandals and they'll be removed. All those who do evil will also be banished. While it is easy for us to read our own thoughts into these words, we must be aware of introducing our own prejudice drawn from images we think are appropriate. It's too easy for us to assume the part of the judge and to caricature God in our ignorance. Here's N.T. right again. God is not a sadistic monster who would happily consign most of his beloved image-bearing creatures to eternal fire. But there are equal and opposite caricatures we should be aware of. God is neither an indulgent grandparent determined to spoil the youngsters rotten by letting them do whatever they like and still giving them sweets at the end of the day. We must refuse the second just as firmly as the first. It wasn't as obvious as they had thought who were the weeds and who were the wheat. It was up to God to make that judgment. And God was delegating that judgment to this strange figure, the Son of Man, the one who had been sowing the good seed, the one who sued for Jesus himself. We must let Jesus be the judge. Only he's qualified for the task. Here's an excerpt from a newspaper article speaking about a minister taking a funeral of a man whom everybody agreed was a waster, a nobody, and a thoroughly bad person. You know, as I know, that the deceased man was a real bee, and you know what that word is, he told the congregation. But then he went on, God sees the whole of his life, and he sees it from beginning to end. God can judge as we cannot, and in him is abundant mercy. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to entrust this life to the creator who gave it, to the saviour who redeemed it, to the spirit who searches to the depths of everyone's being in confidence that there it will be truly judged and mercifully dealt with. Let's leave the judging to God. He's the only one qualified. And as C.S. Lewis once said, there will be surprises. We live in a complex world made more difficult by powers we little understand and can only guess at. We are called to bear witness in the midst of that tension, to trust in God, 
knowing that he will do what is right, allowing us to persevere with patience and letting him be the judge. Amen. I hope you find that helpful. Some questions to consider in high school this week. What do we think the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is like? What have we learned today which might challenge our thinking? And how will this change our thoughts, speech and behaviour? Thank you. That's it from us today, friends. I hope you found this helpful. Don't forget, you can always go back and re-listen to any of the podcasts on the church website, Spotify, Anchor, or any other podcast platform where you find us. That's it. I hope that everybody has a good week. Stay safe and stay well.